Good evening, citizens of Creep City. My name is Matt Shacha, and I'm coming at you over the airwaves of the internet. This is Radio for the Creeps. Hey, everybody. I'm I'm joined tonight by a friend of mine, um, somebody I'm really excited to sit down and talk to on the podcast, and it's the first guest in the history of Radio for the Creeps. So I'm going to let the man himself introduce himself. Wow, I'm, I'm so honored. I'm the first guest. Wow. That's right. My name is Wes Keltner, uh, president of Gun... We make spooky video games. Most know us from Friday the 13th. We also uh, published Layers of Fear 2. And uh, yeah, we're, we're into, the, into the spooky stuff. And that's, uh, you know, uh, being, a, being the, the, the president sounds like it's a, it's a super fancy deal. But uh, mostly I just make sure that everybody at Gun has enough snacks. Yeah, that's right. Keep the snacks well stocked. That's a, that's a very vital role at Gun, though. I mean, we've got a pretty right. banging snack cabinet, and everybody wants to see it stay that way. So right, you're appreciated right. on the day-to-day, believe me. Um, now, before we get into our topic of the actual cast, which is, we have a fun title for this one. It's Giallo and the American Slasher. That makes it sound like mm. we're going to do some real important, like, digging in here, you know, but... Um, <laughs> Before we jump into yeah, you, Giallo, you, you picked the wrong person if you're looking for like a no, yeah. scholarly debate on uh, on on the merits of of different types of horror films, right? And I think that the ti- I think that the anybody who's listened to the first three episodes of Radio for the Creeps knows that the title is about all I have decided before I hit record, and then the rest of right. us just wing it. So we don't know. I mean, good, good, yeah. Good. We'll see where this goes. But before we get into all that, I wanted to talk a little bit. You're doing uh, some cool stuff over on Twitch. You've been making some horror dioramas. Why don't you uh, let everybody know what that's about? I think that's yeah. yeah. So I've yeah I've been kind of playing around with dioramas for I don't know I'd say maybe nine months or so. Um, I guess you know maybe six months before the pandemic. Um, I've always kind of had a fascination with with miniatures. Um, I just think it's kind of cool and. Uh, I just decided I started watching YouTube videos to like learn how to do it and um, started buying, you know, products that some of the YouTubers had been uh, mentioning that works really well. And then um, I I just started poking around at it myself and, and kind of stumbling and and fumbling through like how to do it and um, started really, really enjoying it. And then fast forward to uh, when COVID-19 became a thing and everyone was, you know, needed to work from home I found myself having even more free time than I had previously, and I just kept kind of dumping it that time back into the dioramas. It was something that was um, kind of relaxing and cathartic a little bit. Uh, but since I'm, you know, I, I, I like and enjoy, appreciate whatever horror, I, I kind of wanted to bring some of that to it because I didn't. I'm not into like model trains and stuff, so like I wasn't really interested in in, in doing anything like that. So I wanted to bring up an element of the macabre to it. And so um, my first um, like kind of horror theme I did was, of course, Crystal Lake uh, with the ties to Friday the 13th uh, and knowing as much as I know about it. There's, and I know there's tons of people that know more than I do, but I, I, I can definitely hold my own in a Friday the 13th conversation. I was going to say, don't sell yourself short on that one, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Um, and so I made a... Um, a diorama that was in the scale of the NECA figurines because I had a part three Jason and I wanted him standing on a dock with the, um, with the spear gun out, you know, the whole nine. And so I made that and enjoyed it. And, uh, and again, then the pandemic happened and I decided that, um, maybe people would enjoy watching how these things get made. 
And and since most of the people that I kind of know, friends and colleagues and stuff, are kind of into horror too, I thought it may give them you know a nice escape of just something to kind of chill and watch be made. So I I kicked that off and started started doing that. So I've been doing that for a few months now, and it's been really fun. We've we've completed an Evil Dead uh, diorama that people really uh, they really dug that one because we've got some LED lights and stuff going on with that. Um, we did a little, just a little spooky cemetery in one of them. We did, um, the raft from creep show two. Um, and that one was a, was a success only in that a lot of the people that were watching, um, some of, some of them were just fans of Friday the 13th, like the game. So that's why they came over to see like what I was up to. And they're like, what is the raft? What is creep show two? So it was cool that, that they got to, you know, experience it through the diorama but then also you know most of them jumped on prime and watched it because it's you know it's available on on amazon prime for free um and now we have we have just kicked off we're we're probably halfway through um a haddonfield 1978 diorama which i'm calling it that and not calling it a quote halloween diorama because i don't have the michael myers house Mm. and what i had to do was try to find um some scale uh, house kits to build that looked sort of like what I've what I saw in the films. Uh, so we have t- like two houses. One of them has a little garage. It's a street scene, um, you know, yard and the, the whole works. But we're gonna have some little, some nice little Easter eggs and things kind of kind of in the diorama. So if you're into watching um, things at one sixty eight scale or whatever, be created. Uh, please do come hang out. It's pretty chill. We put on some. Some, some chill tunes, and um, I, I run multiple camera angles so people can see stuff up close and from far away, and and I try to teach as much as I can, like, how to make the things, but I think most of the people are there just because it's it's kind of chill. Yeah, I was going to say that I've, I've tuned into a few now, obviously. Well, you know that, but mm-hmm. for anybody listening, I've tuned into a couple now, and what I've found really nice about the the streams that you do is there's a, a really cool kind of mellow vibe to them. Like it's the perfect and not background as in, I'm not trying to relegate you to the background of the desktop, but <laughs> I you know, see how it is. Yeah. yeah, but we're, you know, we are all stuck at home and we're multitasking yeah. our brains out right now. So oh, yeah. to have it, you know, on another window and be able to pop in and be like, man, look, he's, he's making the raft. That's pretty cool. He made the, he made the, the blob in, in, in the raft uh, lake, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, seeing you do the work with some of the landscape stuff and, and pouring the epoxy and all that, it's made for a really nice vibe, um, as a, uh, you know, an occasional watch to hang out and, and check out. And of course the fact that it has, you know, horror th- woven throughout the entire thing, you know, it's, it's a place for spooky people to chill out. So, um, they can catch you at twitch.tv slash Wes Keltner, correct? That's correct. All right, good. I'm glad I didn't blow that one, but you guys should definitely uh, stop by and hang out, especially if you're in the mood to, A, learn how to make really teensy-teensy horror things. I mean, Tiny Terrors is the name of his uh, his uh, run on the Twitch. The little there, show, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. So Tiny Terrors is it, and if you want to go and check out how to make little little mini spookies and also maybe, you know, have a nice relaxing vibe to it, learn a little something crafty, it's a, one, of, one of my favorite streams because, you know, there's, there's a lot of places you can go all over Twitch to get the, like, in-your-face crazy, yeah, we're going to go for the W, chicken dinners, and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. there's something to be said for the Mellow Mellow, too, and I, I really, uh, I, I've found a nice uh, a nice bit of relaxing time hanging out in those streams, so that's pretty cool. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Absolutely, man. So, now, 
now that we've talked about what we've been up to, let's obviously, well, and you know, I don't really have to go into what I've been up to. You guys are listening to it. Obviously you've heard I've maybe kicked off this thing. So let's get into the topic of the day, which is uh, Giallo and the American Slasher. Now, before we go too far into this, I just wanted to mention that not too long ago, I was talking to somebody about Friday the 13th and the history of Friday the 13th. And of course, you know, we'll get into Friday the 13th and Giallo in a minute, but obviously the Giallo topic comes up quite a bit. And, um, you know, I started thinking there was the moment of switching over from nameless, faceless, like they say, you know, like when what's the how's the saying go Wes it's uh black gloves and a knife or something like that or right right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah the the black gloves and a knife how that moved over to we've got the hulking brute Jason and we've got you know Michael Myers um you know coming back for Laurie Strode and we've got Freddie and he's gonna get you in your dreams and we turned into this what I kind of started referring to as a villain worship kind of thing in slashers and then we had the mm-hmm. heyday of the villain you know right um but I have to admit that I didn't really know a lot about Giallo until I met you, Wes, when I started at uh, Gun. For me, my introduction to Giallo was one where I didn't even know the term, but I knew Lucio Fulci through Zombie, right? Right, right. Now, a lot of people, yep. myself included, consider Zombie uh, to be like the gateway Fulci, and then you go, you either <laughs> go like full Fulci, and you're like, yeah, right, the Beyond, and and Don't Torture mm-hmm. a Duckling, and, and movies like yep. that, even all the way through to like cat in the brain that, you know, you're either on for that ride or you watch zombie and then you go, that was cool. And now I'm going to go watch other zombie movies, you know? So there's two different types of fans there. You know, I went full, full Mm. chief for a while now. Yeah. I mean, going, going deep into that is, um, it it isn't for everyone. Yeah, that is for sure. And, And that's kind of like how Giallo is just in general is like, take my wife for, for example, she's, not a like a big horror fan. She she'll watch a few like like um, if the, you know if if it's coming up on Halloween and it's kind of you know fall and it's getting a little spooky. She'll sit and maybe watch a Halloween with me or you know something that's kind of tame. Right. But she's not much into anything else. But if you ask her, have you seen a Giallo film? She'll say, Oh well, I, I've seen Suspiria. Right. It, it and that and that's kind of. It's somewhat similar, you know, in that um, there, there's folks that that may have an introduction. They de- barely dipped their toe into it, and they and they maybe didn't even know that it was a Giallo film. They were just like, "This was just a weird horror movie from the '70s." Right, right. You know what I mean? Uh, but Ar- you know, Argento had a different flavor compared to Fulci. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, right. and and I mean, I, I have to admit that. When even when researching this episode, I was like, well, Fulci was not I mean, as much as that's my experience, I would like if somebody was like, Matt, I want to get into Giallo films. What would you recommend? I mean, I might slip one or two Fulci films in there because I'm just such a big fan. But, mm-hmm. you know, in my heart of hearts, I know that that's not the way in. You know, that's not the sure. That's not the recommended. But, but, but you know, Zombie intro. is probably a, a really good onboard to someone who. Um, is just think, you know, when they think about horror movies, you know, they kind of need, some of it needs to be somewhat compartmentalized because Giallo films completely break that compartment that we know in the Western audience. Yeah. So I think Fulci is actually a really good gateway, you know, like show, show them zombie. They're like, oh, cool. It's, it's a, it's a zombie movie. And you're like, yeah, but there's more to it, you know? And, And there is actually, you know, come to think of it, there is a lot of POV 
in mm-hmm. in zombie even for a zombie oh, yeah. movie you know where normally they're pulling that camera out so you can see the the zombies and all the good makeup and all that right but there like is romero actually, would do he you know he uh, he's going to pull the shot back further and, sh- and show you all the zombies coming through the field yeah where where fulci showed a few of those scenes but also put you in this perspective of of the zombie too yeah that's true that's very true but i mean i guess since you know you kind of were the first person i i'm I can't remember how that first conversation went word for word, but I know it was along the lines of where we were talking about horror films and directors and we got down one of the roads that led to an Italian director. And then you were like, oh, yeah, you know, I like Giallo, this, that. And I kind of like stopped you and said, wait, what the hell? And I remember you being kind of like, who is this guy that we hired here at Gun that doesn't know what a Giallo (laughs) film is? But I ran right, I like, I had, again, like I said, that, that weird side door into it. And then I went back and watched a lot of the ones that I know you recommended. Now, I don't want to spoil anything because I'm sure they're going to come up in the show. But what would you say your introduction to Giallo was? The first Giallo film was Suspiria. Okay. That I saw. And it was, um, actually, I saw it a long time ago and and I, but I didn't know I didn't know what I saw like I right. I didn't a I, I didn't fully understand it and and I didn't know that it was within a category you know kind of thing and then I met Ronnie um who was also a co, you know he co-designed Friday the 13th with me and we were discussing a kill and he says um you know, we should um, we should try to to uh, like bring some giallo to this. We should try to like do something as like a, a nod, you know, because of of the the lineage between giallo and slasher. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Because yeah. in my head, I'm thinking, "Well, I knew that Suspiria was could be categorized as that, but I didn't know much more." And he was like, "Bruh, you know, go watch some movies." You know, and I'm right, like, right, okay. And so, uh, you know, I sat down and, you know, and just mowed through so many um, as we were designing the game. And so when we got to the uh, working on some of the concept art for the game, that's why there's one you know piece of concept art that is the twitch of the death nerve kill. Right, right. And this was, oh, I, I hope I'm not interrupting you too bad, but this was actually the moment in the last chat I had on this topic where I was like, wait, hold on. And we were like, you know, like the meme, you know, like hard right turn down the highway. And it was like, <laughs> giallo time. We're going to talk about this. Um, that twitch of the death nerve, uh, it's the spear through the two lovers in bed kill. Correct. That Correct. is like one to one in Friday mm-hmm. the 13th. Yeah, the only difference is the 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 victims are are switched. Right, right. Meaning in, in Twitch, I believe the girl was on the on the top yes Sorry. that's right that's and right and then on and friday 13th it's the it's the opposite but, yeah because in f13 uh-oh. she could see the killer and she was Correct. getting upset trying to get the guy yeah but the the type of weapon was very similar the camera treatment uh how it went through the bodies showing the weapon under the mattress hitting the floor blood on it like it, it was it's pretty close it's, it's as close to one-to-one as you as you can get without just straight out stealing the kill you know yeah yeah now, and I, I actually asked Sean Cunningham about that whenever I sat down across from him, and I said, "Hey, have you seen Twitch of the Death Nerve?" And he's like, "No." And I was like, "What's well, also known as Bay of Blood? Have you have you heard of that?" And he was like, "No." I'm like, "Did you ever watch any Giallo movies or anything?" He was like, "No." And I'm like, hmm. "Okay." And so then I sat down with Savini, and I'm like, "Have you heard of 
and he's like, oh yeah, no, I've heard of, I've heard of him. I've like, you seen him. He goes, probably. I just don't remember. And so I show him a picture, and he was like, holy shit. He's like, that's like, just like I'm like, yeah. And he's like, he goes, well, that that must have been some kind of collective consciousness or something. He's like, because we didn't, that wasn't the intention, right? Of when right. we did that. He goes, but that's so cool that like that existed, you know, years before in a kill, and then here we are, you know, these guys mucking around in the woods trying to figure this figure this shit out and um, end up with a kill that's very similar. But, you know, I, I think there's like a, like you said, a collective conscience kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like, because I know that there are a lot of times I've come across a movie that is maybe one of those ones that everybody says is a must watch, but I somehow have missed. And when I load it up, I'm like, oh yeah, this, and it feels so familiar because I do think that there right. is something to be said for that. Like if you're just, if you just know the genre and the, you know, some of the films in it, there's certain things that you stumble along more so now, you know, and, and now it's a little different with the with the internet. It's kind of when you stumble along something, it's hard to not know the uh, attribution, um, the, the you know, the source of that thing. You know, it's you wouldn't stumble right. across a screenshot from Twitch of the Death Nerve now and be like, I wonder where that came from. Oh, well, we're going to recreate it in our movie. You know, like right. it right. would it would be plastered everywhere and you'd know. But um, one of the things that I found interesting about the the Twitch of the Death Nerve kill being in Friday the 13th is to me, it seemed like it was a really neat way to to do that same callback that Ronnie mentioned to you, you know, making, putting something in there that kind of drew a very clear line. Um, now, aside mm-hmm. from that concept art in Friday the 13th, the game, was there something that you guys included that was specifically like a, hey, we're going down the Giallo road now? Not particularly. Um, I mean, it was it was something that we we discussed when we were, kicking around the design of a new game mode called Paranoia mm-hmm. uh, that we weren't allowed to, to release due to the, uh, the, the license uh, issue uh, the, the, that most people know about. You, know, you can read about that in the, in the press. But, mm. um, but other, than, other than that, no. It was more just that one piece of concept art we knew would, would be in the load screens. And to, the, to fans of either Friday or Giallo or both, they may see that and go, wait a second, kind of point at the screen and nod, like, I know what they're doing here. You know, like, it, it, the, the scene is from Friday the 13th, but wait, the, the female male has switched be, right. because that's the way it was in Twitch of the Death Nerve. Right, so it's a little back to the original, right? Exactly, just a little nod, little wink, little nudge. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I have to admit, though, I feel better sitting down for this episode knowing that I mean, I guess, you know, what it really comes down to is nobody's born having known everything about a um, genre of anything, right? Uh, whether no. it's music or and movies. And if, if, if I shamed you in some way no, during no. that moment. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, um, but, you know, I was, I was sitting down and I was like, man, you know, I kind of, I have to admit straight out of the rip, I have to say, like, look, I, I found my way in through the side door. I kind of like worked my way mm-hmm. backward and, but that's you know, not uncommon with a lot of these things. Um, one of the, the first parallels that comes to mind is music. A lot of times you get into music that's pertinent now, and then you start going backward through what inspired that music, and you're finding out about bands from the 70s or 80s or whatever, however far back, right. and it's the same kind of thing with films. So exactly. for me, you know, that was my roundabout way in. And, uh, you know, I think and it's... I think me. you need to be a little older to, to appreciate the roots of something. That's true. I think too. when you're when you're younger, when you're in your twenties or whatever, you're still you're still figuring out your own footing. So to like start digging back in time on something that you enjoy, 
I don't know. I think a lot of your twenties, you're looking front, you're looking forward. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you need you need to have some miles on you, and then you you slow down a little bit, and you start to appreciate both what's in front of you, what's current, and then what was behind. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like either just now discovering giallo, or just within the last you know five, ten years, or whatever. You're just now like discovering that genre. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, and and people shouldn't shouldn't shame you for for uh, just now getting into it. They need to be ushering people towards it, yeah. even if you know the majority of giallos are they're a little odd, they're a little weird. They're they're some of the the remaining prints of those that you have, like even the ones you watch on Prime. Mm-hmm. They they've gone through so many production houses to be available and distributed in America that the cuts on them are weird. Yeah, uh, harsh jump cuts, and you're like, "What?" And even sometimes the story and the plot kind of falls because of the edits that were made to it. Um, so, you know, take take it for what it is, and just and and know that um, that that was the that's the roots towards some Western films, horror films that you probably all know and love. Yeah, and you know, I certainly would say that for every horror fan listening who's interested, you should definitely go through and and try to catch a couple of the ones that are going to, you know, that stand out as the mainstays of the genre, just for the sake of knowing the genre a little better. I think it'll help you understand some more of what we're going to discuss here and where, you know, horror goes as far as slashers and all of that from here. That doesn't mean that you need to turn into like the This isn't the, the hipster coffee shop where we're like, you know, you can't listen to green day. If you don't know who, you know, stiff little fingers is, you know, it's like, we're not right. doing that here. That's not the yeah, game. But. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's like being in the sports, but not liking baseball. But if you're, if you're in Chicago, go watch a Cubs game. Right. Like at least see one, it's, you know, it's, yeah, so, just do that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And I, I think that when you do, one of the things that I found most interesting, cause a couple of people have said to me, like, you really, you like the Giallo films? And I'm like, well, you know, there's ones that I like. Sure. There's ones that I, I mm-hmm. could, you know, take or leave, but I definitely feel like, and I'm looking at our, our, our minimal outline again, guys, um, radio for the creeps is off the cuff. Um, but we, I did put together like five strings of sentence fragments as that I referred to as <laughs> yeah, like one post-it note with just That's like right. chicken scratch on it. Yeah, right. right. So, uh, <laughs> looking at those comprehensive notes for the episode, I know that some of the films that we are going to discuss, you know, understanding those, um, the reference, the Giallo influence there is, is definitely going to make you look at it and go, Oh, well, how about that? You know, it's, uh, there's something to it now, mm-hmm. uh, before we roll on further, I want to hear, though, you know, uh, aside from all that, again, like I said, we're, we're, we're about shaking off any of the hipster, like, I, I knew Giallo before it was yellow kind of stuff. But, you know, what would you say is your favorite, your personal favorite Giallo film? It's, it's a tough one to answer because, I mean, if you're, if you're talking from start to finish, what was the, uh, like, the film that stuck with me the most? I would have to say Suspiria. Okay. Because it was the first, it was my gateway in, and Argento's use of, of color and how he shoots things is just different than anyone else. And uh, I think he was kind of, he was at his, like, peak when he when he made that. Um, so it's it's probably my favorite, like, start-to-finish giallo film. Got you. Um, but then I have all these other ones that I enjoy watching for different reasons like if i look at like twitch of the death nerve or even torso Mm -hmm. both of them feel 
feel like they're the closest thing to a Western slasher. Right. Um, so if you enjoy Halloween, if you enjoy Friday 13th, then those two films, Twitch of the Death Nerd, which is also called Bay of Blood, it depends on who distributed it, um, that or Torso, they f- they feel more like those type, like the premise and kind of how it was shot and what the kills, kills look like. And um, you just have to set aside the soundtrack, which is always probably the most jarring aspect yeah. of Giallo films for anyone who hasn't watched them. Oh, They're yeah. usually super confused when you know the killer steps out with a knife ready and the and the girl screams for the kill and then like this funky bass rip rip, rip starts <laughs> yeah. in yeah. and you're like what is this you know i have to um, admit that two things when i did my giallo homework again when we first met that really were off-putting to me was the soundtrack and the fact that it's virtually impossible to get these films in italian with subtitles so they're right. always these terrible overdubs Yes. And then like yes, they are. crazy soundtracks between those two things. You're like, God, I feel like, I feel like something's wrong with me right now. Like, yeah, am I all right? Yeah. There's a couple on, on prime right now that, that it's the original cut. Um, they did, some of them are dubbed, but it, you get a couple, like I think uh, blood and black lace is, um, it's in, uh, Italian and they have English subtitles. That's another so, one of the classics too. That's another one of yes. the mains. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think an, another one that I would probably put into my list, I know you asked me to pick one, but it's, it's hard for me to do, um, would probably be the Black Belly of the Tarantula. Oh, yeah. Just because of the interesting, uh, that the, the killer decides to, you know, use wasp venom or whatever in, in, in inject it into girls and, and um, put them in a vegetative state and then kill them. It's so weird and twisted. yeah. yeah. Um, that I hadn't seen like a, a, a Jello movie where the, 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 the quote unquote serial killer is being, I guess that creative, you know, in, in how they want to, how they want to attack or whatever. Cause usually it's like, you know, guy, black guzz, black trench coat, uh, moving through the shadows, jumps out with a knife or, or strangles and it's over. Right. You right. Know? Yeah, and that, and that's something too the the kitchen knife kind of thing, which is, we're going to move toward American films later. But you know, there's very there's a real Michael Myers tie there. The kitchen knife mm-hmm. situation is very giallo. But, oh yeah. Um, you know, so now let me ask you this though: Would you say that your your favorites are in your must watch as well? Because I think that those are two, and, and this is going to make sense in a minute when I cover when I get into my end of this. But must mm-hmm. watch for the sake mm-hmm. of referencing the genre, what would you say is, is the number one must watch Giallo film? I uh, I have to give it to Suspiria. Okay. For me, um, because it's, to, it, it, um, the way Argento shoots things and the, and the colors that he uses, it, there's no one else that does that. And you can't mistake a, an Argento film. Once you see it, you're like, Oh shit. And like, you go watch any of his other films and it's like you you see those same sort of signatures uh throughout um and while there are jello directors that you can like we mentioned fulci he kind of has his style and you can kind of feel it you know mario baba has a style and you can kind of feel it but Mm -hmm. it's not as pronounced as argento and so i think it's like an easily more it's like easy to digest a little bit while still being kind of art house 
Right, know? right. So there's like there there's that audience that if they appreciate sort of indie art house, then they're going to be like, wow, Suspiria was a really cool film. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it to me, it's like one that I think you can set you, if you if you pulled in a group of your friends of people that maybe don't watch horror, and you're going to have those that like they love art house indie stuff. You may have some that like you know, some aspects of gore. You have others that like, I just kind of want like a good story that I can appreciate. Um, you know, they, they want to see a flipped script where the killer's not a male. Well, you know, Suspiria again, you know, so it's, and instead of in a, in a setting that isn't traditional horror that we know in Western culture, it's not like, you know, kids on a campground and there's a killer right. there. No, right. it takes place in a ballet studio. So there's some beauty, some elegance to it. Right. So, uh, and then, of course, Goblin does a soundtrack, which, right. you know, I'll, I'll fight anybody in the streets that tells me it, that ain't a baller-ass band. Right. They are phenomenal. Right. And, and, you know, one of the interesting things about Suspiria is that you can look at that as, okay, that's a must-watch in the the realm of Giallo as we're talking, but it's also just a must-watch for horror fans. So yeah. you're kind of hitting, you're, you're hitting both uh, angles there. Mm-hmm. For me, what I, about you? I, I think my favorite... My favorite Giallo film, I have to give it, because again, this is a personal favorite, so I have to give it to my buddy Fulci, and mm-hmm. I have to say either Don't touch, don't Torture a Duckling or mm-hmm. uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, ooh, that's a good one. I know. That's a good, and, know. and again, these are films that I knew of as a kid, and I was just like, that's that weird guy, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Zombie took me down. I Again, like I said, I went full Fulci. I'm in for all of, like, Beyond is my favorite Fulci film, so... I'm the guy who's okay with ambiguous, weird Fulci, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I, I'm good with that. Um, I would have to say, though, if I'm staying off of his more gorehoundy type of later films and his more, you know, psychedelic horror later films, I would say either Lizard or uh, Duckling. Now, mm-hmm. if I had to pick one that I think horror fans, and again, I'm, I'm saying this from the situation of horror fans current horror fans in america something to you know if you're totally unfamiliar with giallo i think deep red or profondo rosso i think is a probably a pretty good one because Mm -hmm. the tie to again it's it's argento but the tie to like i mean you can watch that and there's a direct line to american slashers there so right you know that's that is if you're going to watch one and try to understand what we're talking about i i feel like that's one where not necessarily, Suspiria definitely is higher up on the, the scale of you have to, if you're a horror fan, you have to have seen this, right? Like the must, mm-hmm. that type of must watch. To get what where we're going with this, I think that this uh, would really be a good example to show that will, you know, kind of draw that line for you clearly and have you go, oh, okay, I get what they mean. I think another analogy too to look at is if you, if you just take those two directors, Argento, Fulci. Right. Argento is like, is like the well-polished, well-seasoned band that you sit and listen to. Mm-hmm. That just every chord they strike, it's clean. They've been over every single facet of the the music that they wrote, and it's just from start to finish the song. It's a hit. You understand it. It's got a hook. Right. Right. You watch Fulci, and it's a little more punk which is probably why you like it it's a little more chaotic sometimes it's a little bit piecemealed right it feels more like he may have like wrote like some the basic outline of the film and then just said fuck it roll cameras right let's see what happens right right and and, and you get some of that like kind of grimy rawness out of Fulci 
um, compared to, now I'm not saying that Fulci puts, puts out films that aren't like well put together or they're hard to watch. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like when you compare those two, right. Is, is there, there is a noticeable difference in like, um, like the common thread through Argento feels very produced and elegant. Right. And that's not necessarily like Fulci style. It's one of my favorite things, the divining rod with horror fans when you're talking about Fulci. And they say like, how can you like the Beyond so much? By the end of the film, you know, there's this end and it just kind of ends and it doesn't make any sense. And this, that, I need answers. And and I'm being the Fulci fan. I'm sitting there saying, you know, I don't need answers. That was a really good movie. Mm -hmm. That was great. And, And those two have, those two types of people just don't often understand where the other's coming from. It's, it's like a definite, like a carve down the line of fandom where you say, yeah, I'm all right with, I mean, again, you know, I I always liken it to my love of David Lynch where people go, I watched, I watched that David Lynch film. I have no idea what was going on. And I, I say, you know, I have about as much idea of what was going on as you do. And I really, really loved that. You know what I mean? I think there's something to that, that feeling at the end where you're like, I just watched something interesting and weird and I might take something away from it that you didn't see. And you might take something away from it that I didn't see. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. It has holes and, and you know, it's got its marks and scars and, and, and scuzz on it, but I'm good with that, you know? And, uh, yeah, right. I think that's, that's evident in all of his work, uh, you know? Um, but I definitely see what you mean about Argento being a little more of the orchestrator, you know, um, mm-hmm. all of the little pieces fitting together really nicely to create this beautiful whole. And there's, it's not a, a skill or a um, quality thing. It's more an approach, you know. Um, yeah, and it's it's just his style. It's how he wants to do it, you know. Right. Uh, but, you know, one thing that's important to mention about Profondo Rosso is, again, uh, Goblin soundtrack, too. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's there's one... There's one common thread there that, but I mean, I have to be, I have to also give a shout out to Fabio Frizzi who did the soundtrack on movies like Beyond and a lot of the um, Fulci films mm-hmm. for that erratic kind of, again, very like, I'm trying to not use the phrase avant-garde because it just, it makes me gag a little when I say that, but it is very <laughs> like, you know, uh, that the Fritzy soundtracks are very like, oh God, they're kind of jarring, but they're also kind of jarring in a just right kind of way, you know, like a right. little bit of an ice pick in the ear at in just the right kind of way that you need to, to match up with the film and it makes it really fun. For so, sure. Yeah. So now that we talked a little bit about the basics of Giallo, our, our preferences, our interests in that genre, that, that kind of subgenre really of horror, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about how that influenced American films and the American slasher films specifically. Um, I would have to say that early on, Black Christmas stands out as the number one reference of you know, Giallo making its way to North America specifically. Halloween is obviously definitely one of the top ones, but... There was a moment where it seemed like Giallo was really going to take off here. We had a lot of, of specific influences in specific films, but as quickly as it came on, it kind of died out. And that's something that we're going to take a little bit of a look at here on the show. Um, now, I know, Wes, you're actually, you know, this is great. You're currently working on a Haddonfield. We're not using the Halloween term on the on the diorama, <laughs> but you're, you're currently working on a Haddonfield 78 diorama. I know you're mm-hmm. a huge fan of Halloween. Um, I am. Is there more to that than just a kitchen knife and a killer POV? Is there more to um, the tie between Giallo and Halloween? Is yeah, that the, basically the Italian effect on American horror there with Halloween. Yeah, 
I, you know, it, it, I mean, definitely with with putting the the audience in the perspective of the killer, uh, we hadn't seen many films before that that did it. Um, but it's also that that idea of um, you know what, what Giallo embraced was this kind of who done it, and you 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 gotta wait till the end to see, and it was kind of this you know crime based type of, of film usually that's sort right. of the the standard formula because um if, if you don't mind me jumping in here sure wouldn't giallo's earliest roots before it was just straight up you know murder flicks and what would be more mm-hmm. likened to horror wasn't it more of like a crime mystery kind of genre right well it, which goes back to you know uh, the the novels that were being written pre pre-talkies right right um which is where we got the terms yellow because the film the, the books themselves were yellow uh which is how it was easy to when you walk past uh you know the little book stands on the streets in rome or whatever you could tell the differences in the types of books within the within the fiction section the yellow books were the crime books and so people started calling those giallo books giallo is italian for yellow and that just got carried over to film see it sounds so exotic here but over there, it yeah. just means yellow. Right. Right. It just means yellow. That's right. great. Yellow movie. Well, I mean, I know, exactly. in, I know in Black Christmas, right, mm-hmm. the idea where a lot of people talk about, you know, um, Black Christmas being one of the early Jalo-influenced American slashers being the fact that you're, the killer is a surprise at the end. There's not really right. so there's there's some POV stuff. There's some, you know, there's some kills where you're behind the eyes of the killer. Um, but I'd say that it's it's thin until you get to that final bit where there's the reveal of who it was and he's in the house and dot dot mm-hmm. dot also a lot of those older giallo films um like twitch of the death nerve they're they're located they're um rather they're based around a central location and it's kind of mm-hmm. you know a lot like camp crystal lake is to friday the 13th it's you know the, right the entirety the of to- the torso is the same yeah right the, where it's it's a house a country villa away from civilization you know, you, you you have one car or whatever to right. to go to and to and fro. Uh, yes, yeah, so you're 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 out on your own. Right, and 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 that kind of is echoed again across the slashers, right? Because we have mm-hmm. Haddonfield and Crystal Lake, and we have uh, you know Elm Street and that that whole kind of everything taking place around a centralized location. And again, um, the elements of paranoia and uh you know who's the killer and who might it be it could be any one of us Mm -hmm. and that those kind of core things that we now understand as tropes really are kind of carried over from giallo right Uh, and and sort of you know loosely with you know michael uh you know constantly trying to kill um laurie strode just like fixed upon her right um and and nothing's going to stand in his way from from getting this ultimate kill um, and, and some of the, sh- like the shrine and worship that he does for his mom, you know, he takes the tombstone back and, you know, there's th- those kind of, of, um, of elements that can flirt with what you see in Giallo, which, you know, in that, in that realm, they call that quote, psychosexual, right? right like that was right. like what Giallo films really highlighted was this psychosexual kind of crazy guy that, that, uh, is, is lusting after these women and it's you know either he can't have them or whatever's going on he's going to kill them such Um, as the girls in the sorority house in black christmas they're getting the perverse phone calls that they later find out are coming from and you know let's just be clear here 
It wasn't a Lifetime movie. It wasn't When a Stranger Calls. It wasn't any of those things. It was Black right. Christmas that did the calls coming from inside the house. That was Black right. Christmas. That was the original there. Um, but yeah, the perverse phone calls and the things like that, again, uh, like uh, a dangerous psychosexual kind of um, influence there and, and picking off these girls one at a time from the sorority house. Um yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the, the tie between Michael and Laurie Strode also, which, I mean, again, later takes a, a bit of a different turn where, you know, they're related and it goes somewhere else altogether. But as far as yeah. the core original film, yes, that, that um, the, the, the persistence, the hunt um, of the one target being Laurie Strode. Now, I know with Friday the 13th, you have a lot of these same elements, but Friday the 13th also would be... In, of the top three primary American films that I think were most uh, originally in, um, in the slasher genre inspired by Giallo, I would say Black Christmas, Halloween, and Friday the 13th. But Friday the 13th arguably was very influenced by Black Christmas and Halloween. How do you right. think that all kind of played together? Because there's a lot of stories about the original, you know, um, the original kind of, you know, uh, uh, conceptualization of Friday the 13th and how that whole thing became uh, a movie and a script and everything else, starting out with a poster and then moving from there. Right. It was driven, driven by marketing first, right. uh, not necessarily uh, by uh, like a, like a creative story that someone wanted to tell or, or a directorial vision. It was, you know, it was marketing first. They knew it was something they could sell and they sold it before they even wrote one line of the script. Right. right? With the poster, um, right? The right, exactly. Glass, they got an yeah. ad in the yeah. Variety magazine or whatever it was, and yeah, the rest was history. But um, yeah, I think there's there's something to be said about when you move from a from Black Christmas to a Halloween to um, to Friday the Thirteenth. Somewhere in there became this this audience infatuation with less about. Um, needing it to feel like giallo films do where it's like a crime is taking place who is the killer and these are the heroes that are going to solve the case right almost scooby-doo-esque or something right right? like that was less important i think in the western uh, market and i think some of that ties back all the way back to universal monsters this is just my own personal opinion there's others out there that would tell me I'm, i'm full of shit and that's fine yeah, but that's all right. We're yeah, something you know, we're off the cuff here. It's good. <laughs> yeah, there's something about though that like how the Western audiences idolize the the Draculas, the Frankenstein's, the Wolfman's, and whatnot, um, and the need for Hollywood to create a brand, right? right? A mar- a marketable icon, and you can't really create that if you're looking at the at the Giallo formula. What you are idolizing in that formula more than anything is the visionary director or, or whatever that brought the entire piece to fruition, not the marketable you know icon that can never be killed and live forever in you know twelve thirteen films or whatever right right because you don't see you know the guy that dies at the end of Twitch of the Deaf Nerve come back in the next movie right. Well, and I think that it's it's also very telling that Black Christmas, as much as it's, you know, uh, um, a, a classic and a must-watch in the genre for everyone, it's also something that at the time wasn't necessarily well-received. And, and you know, mm-hmm. we, 
we've seen it remade a million times, but that's that's a whole other thing. Um, with Halloween, you saw the first one be very related to Giallo films and then go off on more of that American slasher side of things where motivations for the character changed and all of that. You know, a lot of those mm-hmm. elements that were nods back to Giallo changed. And then with Friday the 13th, you see a film that was basically born out of marketing mm-hmm. s- that has ties to Giallo, but very quickly shed them. So do you think there's something to be said there? I mean, if it's the American ideal that, you know, well, we have the universal monsters and so we kind of go toward that villain worship kind of side of things. Do you think that it's coincidental that a film born out of like a marketing situation and, uh, hey, Halloween came out, it did great, let's do a horror film and well, here's where, you know they could draw the line from the inspirations for Halloween. They're inspired by thus, you know, and move forward from that. And is it coincidental basically that we didn't see a lot more of these films along that string that that are so closely tied to Giallo? Or do you think that that quick shift into what became known as the American slasher and more of that universal monster villain worship thing that can't be all coincidence. I think it's just, it's, it's this, it's a culture. It's a, how the culture receives a thing and then decides to sort of regurgitate and show it to, you know, the, the Western and, and American audience. The same can be said for, like, food, right? Right. You know, because, you know, Italy makes in, incredible pastas, incredible, you know, Italian dishes. What's America do? Hot pockets. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, and I'm not saying, like, one thing's good, one thing's bad. I'm just saying the American way of looking at something and going that's really interesting but we would like to see it like this yeah right and so and i think they have to look at a track record within hollywood of what sells right yeah and 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 the universal monsters always did well monsters in general give me something i can point at and from nearly the beginning of the film I go, that's the bad guy. That's the monster. That's who I'm supposed to be scared of. Yeah. And then we're going to watch him go on a rampage. You know, with, with Giallo, it was uh, invest in the characters, know there's a shadowy figure, and never know who it is until the end. And there's usually like, in some of the films, they hit you with a double twist, like Profondo Rosso. Like, you, th- you think, oh my God, it was, it was that person? And then... You know, a few minutes later, it's like, no, it was that one. And you're like, oh, snap. Yeah. You know, like they, yeah. they hit you with the doubles, you know, right. where Friday the 13th, you had no, the first film, you had no idea, shape or form until like the second to the last reel. Yeah. When, when Pamela walks out behind the tree, Betsy Palmer, and is like, hey, you, you guys need some help. What's going on? And you're like, huh? And then she's like, yeah, I used to work for the, you know, right. the Christie family or whatever. And you're like, you're just now getting that person's backstory with only two reels left in the film. Right, right. So, yeah, you know, that that whole, you know, the late reveal thing, that's something that is very, you don't see very often in American films. Right. The POV thing is another thing that you don't see very often in, in not, not the bigger um, American slashers, uh, Halloween right. being one of the main ones, Black Christmas as well. But that's something, that's another layer of it that quickly faded out. And I think that there's mm-hmm. something to be said for that too. I think that as much as in the American markets, we're into the gore and the blood and the guts and, right. and, and rooting for the monster and all that, but we don't want to get behind 
those eyes. You know what I mean? We right. don't, we're like, right. we're way into all of that, that spooky shit, but we don't want to get behind the eyes because it's not us, right? Then we can walk away no. and feel clean. We want yeah, right, it to right. be We want to be close enough to the splatter zone, but we don't right. really want to be that person. Don't give me the and knife. Right, right. I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a perfect, you know, analogy and way to look at it is because in, in, the, in the late 70s, 80s, um, exploitation films, slasher films, what put butts in seats was was gore, mm-hmm. which is why the you know the Tom Savinis of the world uh, their dance card was full, right? They right. they were always getting gigs and doing working on jobs because people needed practical effects because that that was the star of the show was how many squibs can we shoot off right now to make the blood really splash and hit the camera? Right, right. Um, so. There's 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 something about that's what the Western audience wanted, and that's what and they saw it you know through box office sales that they're like oh okay, we don't necessarily you know need this and again I'm not saying that the carpenters carpenters of the world or whomever the Cunninghams whatever sat down and watched studied a Jalo film and said okay do the same thing here no yeah but there was some form of zeitgeist or something there where there was some people feeding off of each other or something, but then a hard right turn occurred, right? Yeah. Where, and I think the clearest example of it for me personally is Friday 13th one to Friday 13th part two. There yeah. was a clear turn that went from a film that, that on Friday 13th one is like, Hey, this is kind of like 50% giallo, right? Like this kind of feels like an Italian film. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and then you watch a second, and you're like, "Oh no, this is a Western. Like, this is a United States of America slasher. Like, right, you know, right, you just, right. Good, good old gore. You know, yep. so yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's interesting to you know think about it that way. Yeah, because you know, and again, um, Halloween had a little muddier changeover from one to two mm-hmm. because you know there's there was a little more they were a little more entrenched in some of that stuff. But the other thing was Friday the Thirteenth. You know, the the killer got beheaded. So they had right. that hard stop moment where they were like, well, you know, uh, we want to make more of these because we're going to keep the wheels on the Friday the 13th bus turning. How do we do that? And th- again, like you said, nothing, no better way to say it than a hard turn off of. And it's weird because that you're talking about 1980 Friday the 13th launches. Um, shortly thereafter, Giallo and its inspirations in American films is kind of already done its deed. And I think that mm-hmm. that deed was get them making horror films again. Um, you know, it, it was the seed that grew into something totally different. And that metamorphosis was American slashers. And then that rolled off on, you know, however long of a, a freight train of films that we now all know as their own thing. But that initial mm-hmm. seed, it only needed a few. It just needed a few scenes of, of killers and, and a few iconic masks and things like that to kick us off onto the next 20 years of slashers and, and on and on into what we have now. Right. That's a really interesting move. Um, you know, I personally find it very interesting when something can be so like uh, such a catalyst for a moment. Um, right. Creatively. So if you're, if you're looking at Black Christmas and you're looking at Friday 13th and 1980, we're looking at like a five, six year time period yeah. for something that, that, that uh, film, film buffs or whatever would argue, you know, Black Christmas is the closest thing 
that American audiences have to uh, an Italian giallo film to maybe arguably like one of the last ones we had, which was the original Friday the 13th. So it it came and went in a six-year period. Um, and, and, and still, even even still, though, it, they're they're different. They're 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 a little watered down comparatively, and the focus, like the the focus of the films, aren't quite in line with how Giallo films are usually focused. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking seventy four Black Christmas, seventy eight Halloween, nineteen eighty Friday the Thirteenth, and then gone, done, yeah. over with. We're you know. Uh, right. From that time period, how many of those high marks? Now, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, there are people who will probably reach out and say, "Well, you know, Giallo's influenced other films," and and there's there's sure. films still coming out in like the action and drama and thriller space. Oh, that there's are no very, doubt about it. Yeah, you know. there's no doubt about it that that still people. There are directors today that that are just getting their feet wet that are still saying like, "Man, I loved Argento and how right. he used color, so I'm going to use color the same way in my movie or whatever." And that's not the point. The point is if you if you take a snapshot of, of a giallo film from the late 60s, 70s, and you said dissect this and put it into little compartments of what are the ingredients that make a giallo film, that those ingredients, some portion of them, probably maybe roughly 40 to 50% of them, were plucked out and dropped into Black Christmas, and then that watered down a little bit and we got Halloween, and then that watered down a little bit more and we got the original Friday the 13th and then it vanished in terms of having that much percentage of the ingredients if you think of it that way yeah and well and not to belabor the point but if you look at giallos from the 60s you're talking about like somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 50 titles if you look right. at giallos in the 70s you're looking at over 100 titles right and then they continued through the 80s with that with a slightly you know diminished pace but they at a pretty strong pace and even in the 90s so mm-hmm. You're talking about something that spanned four decades, and over here it made it four four to six years, right? So, like that's a we super max we fast forwarded that entire timeline. But that's so the American way, though. That's true too. Yeah, I want it now, right now. Okay, on to the next thing. You know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And on that note, actually, I hate to be that way, but yeah. So uh, you know, we pretty much covered what motivated the the movement from Giallo to slasher. Uh, now, I, I guess the, the last thing really to tie up is I, I want to see the, the final like full circle of this conversation. And what would you say is a giallo that like, where do you think the room for giallo films to be remade in this? I know that the remake thing is a touchy subject with a lot of folks. Yeah. But if you were going to see something come back into the forefront, surely, uh, purely from a point of we reboot this thing. We're going to open the eyes uh, to a whole nother revival of, of this, this back catalog of horror films. What do you think the one to do that is? Is it against Suspiria? I mean that, that we had that remake and I mean, yeah. it did well. I think it, I thought it was a quality film, but I liked it. I watched it. I liked it. I mean, it, it's not, a, it's not the, as good as the original in my, in my opinion, but I still appreciated the film. Um, I thought they did a great job choosing Tom York to do the soundtrack. I thought he did a, an interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, soundscape. Uh, I like I like the, the movie, um, but are, I, I guess the it's a difficult question. Are you saying like I, I, how will we see like will we see the ingredients that make a giallo film like have some form of a renaissance again in a, in Western cinema? Is that what you're saying? 
Uh, more, more along the lines of, obviously, Suspiria has already been remade, and, and that's a, a pretty strong outing. But what do you think, where, where do you think the catalyst, the ultimate Giallo remake is to try to maybe spark this revival? Of, of I, don't, I don't think that they're, I don't think anybody should remake any of the Giallo films. Mm. Um, this is my own personal thing. Like, I, I just, I don't see, a, I don't see a reason to do it. I think the, the style of the films reflected the culture and the time period and all of that. Like it, and that's what films are supposed to do is be yeah. a snapshot of what's happening right now. And if you try to take something that's 40 something years old or whatever and say, let's just make this relevant today then you are you are cutting out all the little the pieces of the soul of what made that what it was right and and you're instead you're you know you're just sticking gummy bears in there now and you're going this is good right right like remember how good this is and you're like no it's not this goes down that that topic of when you know me and you have discussed say uh one of the films that i always think of and it sounds silly to make this this sounds like a hard hard segue but child's play which at Mm. the time that it came out Cabbage Patch Kids, this, right. this, uh, these children were basically like driving their parents insane to get the holiday gift of the year and the blah, 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 right. blah, blah. And so the timing of that film made sense to scare people. And, and it came out at a time where people didn't look at it and go, oh, that's, that's corny, you know? Um, right. Cause you, cause you did have the little, uh, my kid sister, my buddy and all these like yep. different dolls that that you started with cabbage patch, cabbage patch ones, and then they came out with some you stick batteries in and they talk to you. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that for a parent, it's already creepy enough that you got dolls laying around your house, but now your kid's dragging one around that's talking. Right. You know, and so it's like, it's not a, a, a massive jump in your head to think that thing could get up and walk around or something. You know, what's the next thing it's going to do, you know? So again, I, it, to, to just go back to that is that I just don't see that, the ingredients that make a giallo film, if you were to just pluck that out and then drop it into 2020 right now and say, Hey, this works, doesn't it? No, it doesn't right now. But, but that doesn't mean that there are elements of it. And it's the way they told, they told stories, their pacing, their, their, how they shot things, how they lit things, how they, all of that can still be inspired by directors today. And they bring some of those elements to the film. I mean, to, to their film that they want to make because it's their film and it's reflecting, it should be reflecting right now what's going on. That's what a good horror movie is supposed to do. Yeah. You say, hey, look, here's the scariest thing you've ever seen because it's you now in this moment where you are right now. Otherwise, the film is just someone screaming boo or saying, hey, look at that monster over there. Yeah. Right. So, um yeah, I just, I just, I don't think it, I don't think it works. I don't think it, it works like that. It's a capsule relegated to time kind of thing. And exactly. I, you know, I, it's a shame because, you know, I, I think there's another angle here as well. And I think that that's, um, it, it's kind of upsetting to think that we're at a point where being behind the eyes of a killer and seeing somebody get a, a quick stabby stabby here and a stab, a strangle strangle and a stabby stabby there was like, Oh my God, this is a horrifying movie. And mm-hmm. nowadays, I mean, if you rolled that out now, it would be like, eh, you know, well, eh, you know, it's, yeah, that's, it's, that's pretty tame and, and not what, what moviegoers are, are looking for. Cause the, the volume knob 
you know, just continues to go way past 11. Yeah. When it, when it comes to what you have to do in horror, you have to constantly reinvent or you have to go so far backwards and reinvent every aspect of, of the filmmaking that you start getting, you get the, like the Jordan Peels who like, I came from comedy and I understand like how to like, it's so, when you listen to him talk about like how you structure and write a joke or a bit it's it, you then it completely makes sense of why he's then good at at writing horror right mm-hmm. because so much of comedy is misdirection yeah you know what i mean yep and I, and so there was like that just that formula that that, that continued through horror and they're like oh you just got to keep turning the knob up on the on the gore or keep turning the knob up on the paranormal type of situations and just keep making it look more like found footage and more realistic and, and then you have, you know, someone like Jordan Peele that comes in and is like, eh, or you can do this. And everyone's right. like, what? You know? Right, right. So I, I think that, that needs to happen more. And that comes to me from sort of a spirit that we, that we kind of saw with some of the, some of the Giallo films. But the, but the stuff that happens in Giallo, you try to show it now. You try to, you try to tell that story to, to today's audience in 4K. Yeah. No. And you know, I, I'm, I, while you were talking, I, I immediately thought of um, the recent Invisible Man, uh, done by mm. Blumhouse, which I thought was really good. But when you watch the original Invisible Man and you watch Blumhouse's Invisible Man, the this sounds like well, no duh, but the the strides between the two are so drastic. Mm-hmm. But it the story lends itself to that that dialing up of modernization, right? Where they can say, well, now it's not, you know, oh, spooky, spooky, he's able to drift around invisible. It's like tech and he has access to these different things and, and you know, a whole other set of powers in the new Invisible Man that make him deadly, right. um, make him dangerous and all of those things. And it becomes more about the, they really amplify the, the gaslighting of the main the main lead in it and and how you know people are acting like you know oh well she should get out of the house again he's gone he's dead he's not bothering her and and so the those psychological elements are where they ratchet it up and I think that's part of why it works but the all the stuff in the periphery has to be dialed into a point of whoa and I mean again that's because times have changed so drastically between the original and now that the original, you can't just remake the original. So I think that being somebody who is a fan of remakes, I think that there's room to explore some of the core principles of it, but yeah, shot no, I for think shot. You can do that. I just don't think you can say, yeah. Um, Wes, can, can they, can they redo black belly of the tarantula today? Yeah. I'd be like, no, no. Yeah. Can, 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 can they do Bay of blood today? Like, yeah, they kind of did. It was Friday Thirteenth, right, like, right? Right. I, I, that's that's what I'm saying is that you just yeah. don't take the thing that was and say let's just remake it today. But I do think you can sit down and shoot a new film and be inspired by what Giallo did and look at some of those elements and bring them to today's audience. I, I wonder where that that um, that line lays, that razor's edge lays, where it's you know. Um, inspired by an obviously derivative and, and not derivative, that's somewhat of a negative term, but um, inspired by is really the best way to say it. Uh, original Giallo films and how, you know, w- how that we could see that represented in more modern stuff. Because while I love the monsters and I love rooting for the bad guy and the villain and all of that, mm-hmm. there there is this, you know, 
I don't know, there's this feeling in me ever since we started talking about the topic, uh, I, I've had a few conversations here and there about Giallo and how quickly it came on. And, and it was like that supernova moment of insp- everything's, you know, the horror we're seeing is inspired by Giallo and now it's gone. You know what I mean? And it was that quick mm-hmm. flash moment. And, um, it made me wonder how this, this genre appealed so well, um, over so much time in another place and here it, it was so short lived and it burned so bright for such a short minute and then it's gone. I think that somebody can come along and probably figure out the way to dial that in. But to, to your point, I do definitely appreciate the capsule of time because nothing's worse than a horror movie that's, you know, made today, obviously modern times, but it just doesn't hit that note of connection to real world, which I think you, you put as best as possible, you know, the, the tie into what's going on now and, and how to make it relevant to the current times you miss that note and it's so painfully obvious and it can really nuke your film. So, you know, I think there's something there, but by the same note, sometimes you just got to let dinosaurs die as well, you know, and, and, and let them be where they are. So very true. You know, it's an interesting thing. I, again, like I said, I'm a big fan of remakes. I don't, I do, I can't think of a single. I, I'm again to go back to my my Fulci rant. I love Lucio Fulci. I wouldn't want to see any of his things remade. I don't think that the same brush could be applied. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have a weird longing to see the uh, the the black gloves again. And I I really thought that the the modern um, Black Christmas would do that. And while I I can't really fault the modern Black Christmas film, um, just recently came out, uh, 2019. Um, I can't say anything terrible about it, but I also can say that it it was not the usual whodunit that you expected from a Black Christmas film, and, and so that was a little bit of a drag too. I think it's still out there that that little that that even if it's a singular film, that moment where we go, eh, Giallo, that's a that that's definitely inspired by Giallo, and that's a really cool retelling, a reimagining of that those core concepts, and and bringing it to the big screen once again. Mm-hmm. So now that we've kind of covered the the Giallo and American slasher topic, I, I think it's it's been a pretty interesting conversation, in my opinion. I, I I've found a lot here that uh, I really appreciate. I really appreciate you sitting down to talk about it. Um, the discussions about Giallo and that capsule of time. I think there's a whole other episode there where we can talk about how relevant horror can be to a specific time period and how that time period can move on and move beyond it. And sometimes that might be. You know, something that burns bright and intense for only a few years, and sometimes it's something that can live over decades. Uh, obviously, here in America, it was American slashers that managed to live over the decades. And, you know, in other places, Giallo had a reign of terror for 40-plus years. There's no way that you can say, though, American slashers were not inspired by Giallo, and I think that that makes it a lot of, there's a lot of essential viewing for the, the modern horror fan. And, uh, you know the 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 idea of giallo being that break-in moment for films like black christmas and halloween and friday the 13th leading to years and years and years of those fandoms is obviously why it's massively important in the world of horror uh wes i i really i have to say that i really appreciate you joining me and if you've got any last thoughts on the giallo and american slasher uh theme of today's episode we'd love to hear them well of course man i was honored to to be a guest on on the show and and I think it's cool that you wanted to, you know, bring this topic to your, uh, to your listeners because it, it, I, th- I think it is there is importance in that. It, it's important to, to go back and look at the roots of the thing that you love, just like we talked about at the top of the show with, 
you know, if you like this band, go backwards. You know, what, listen to the things that inspired them. Uh, you're you're going to get that with some of the Giallo movies. And it, it's not for everyone. You don't have to sit down and watch a Giallo film and go, I love it. You know, chances are you probably won't. You're probably going to kind of be like, huh? And the music's going to be a little jarring. And there's going to be moments that you're, you may even find yourself kind of bored because you're used to a Western pace. But give it, give it a chance. Watch a few of them um, and, and, and get a feel for, for, you know, the directors that you kind of like and why you liked them. Um, and then you'll start to make those connections in your head to how it did lead to to, to Western slashers, and you'll find, a, I think, a deeper appreciation. But I just think it's cool that you you decided to cover this and 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 bring that tie to people and let them, let them see that. Thanks, man. You know, honestly, one of my favorite parts of fandom is discovery and, and the, the, the far-reaching tendrils of that fandom and, and what that brings you to and all the different things that it may, you know, open your eyes up to. So hopefully... You know, this, uh, hopefully this opened up some of you radio for the creeps, citizens of creep city. Hopefully this opened up your eyes to some giallo films that you'll check out and enjoy. And in the, in the future, way down the road, when you decide to have the show that talks about which one was better, Halloween one or two, bring me back on the show. That is a guaranteed seat that I know. I know (laughs) there's, there's only one invite going out for that episode and I know where it's going. Don't you worry. Love it. Uh, um, thank you so much again for hanging out and to everybody out there listening thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Radio for the Creeps I'll be back next week with another one a topic to be determined so stay tuned thanks again Wes take care buddy see ya